The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have a lot to cover, especially now as lawmakers are still grappling. They're still grappling with this economic stimulus bill. And Pelosi, did you see this? Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, she's going to release a $2.5 trillion counteroffer. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government, government congressional reporter, joins me on the telephone line. Jack, what's your lead tonight? Uh, we are still, uh, I don't know about far away, but struggling uh, to come up with a, a bipartisan deal here. Uh, Mitch McConnell wanted to get something done today. Clearly, even if they get a handshake agreement today, there's some work left to do to turn this into a final piece of legislation that they can pass through both chambers of, commerce, of Congress. Uh, Democrats in many ways want more of what Republicans have started to offer they want $150 billion for hospitals. Republicans had talked about 75 to $100 billion. Some of this is a matter of degree rather than wholehearted differences. Uh, Democrats want to provide $1,500 per person rather than the $1,200 we had seen in a, a Republican bill. Um, they also want uh, more significant restrictions on any uh, companies that rely essentially on a bailout or a loan from the government. Uh, especially in terms of unions, in terms of getting these companies to stick to collective bargaining agreements. Really, though, I, I'm not sure we could say they're far away. They they agree on some of the broad outlines. It's just a, a matter of them sort of stumbling through this process more slowly than they wanted to. Do they get it? I asked you this earlier when I was filling in for David Weston on, on Balance of Power. I, I mean, it, do they understand that this is not a political cliche, that small businesses are shutting down, that medium-sized businesses are having to grapple with the unthinkable reality from just compared to a week and a half ago. Do they get it that this bill is more than just $1,200 checks to, to well-deserving Americans, but it's also the livelihood of the next six to nine months? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been thinking about it since you asked me earlier. I think in terms of the, the substance of what they're talking about, you could say yes. This is going to be a massive bill uh, that responds to this as if we're preparing for a depression. Uh, in terms of the process, though, no. This is the same kind of political back and forth, some grandstanding and finger pointing like we would see in just any old sort of appropriations bill or something much less urgent. Uh, and the fact that they didn't immediately go into what they call four corners negotiations where they get McConnell, Pelosi, Schumer and McCarthy in a room and bring in somebody from the administration and say, what can we hash out? Uh, they didn't do that. They had senators talking to each other and then the administration. They kind of tried to elbow Pelosi out of the way. Pelosi was out of town for a week. Uh, this this really, as far as the process goes, wasn't particularly urgent. They They seemed to have treated it as almost normal. 
That's that is such a foreign concept to every single person listening tonight to this program that lawmakers in a time of a national emergency, a global pandemic, that they wouldn't all get in a room and do this. It, it, it is so incomprehensible that I, I don't even know how to follow up on this. But in terms of the next timetable, when do you anticipate from a timing standpoint that this will actually get across the finish line? I'm hearing before noon tomorrow. Well, so we've heard some optimism as far as coming to an agreement, uh, as far as shaking hands on something. But there are some hoops to jump they through. They can't shake hands. I'm not even trying to make a bad joke. Well, they can't. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Maybe bump elbows. Uh, the, uh, so they lost some time, potentially, without getting too far into the weeds here. This this procedural vote failed in, in, in the Senate today. So in order to jump back to this, they would need to have unanimous consent. Uh, Mitch McConnell essentially said on the floor, if, if they don't get unanimous consent to speed this along after they have essentially a deal, it could take until probably Friday to get it through the chamber. Uh, there, there's work to be done to turn bullet points into legislative text, and then there are some procedural hoops that they're going to have to jump through to get this through the House and Senate into the president's desk. So we're hearing, oh, maybe we could come up with something today or at least tomorrow, but there's going to be some lag time behind that, uh, and we don't know exactly how long. That they don't have time. I mean, do the they count. get that they don't have time? Do they – I mean – Truthfully, with all due respect to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, with all due respect to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, do they not understand that they do not have time? We haven't gotten really a clear answer uh, on why Pelosi was gone during recess, why McConnell was gone the weekend uh, before that recess, why McConnell didn't try to pull Pelosi into these negotiations, why he specifically wanted a Senate and administration deal. We really haven't gotten answers yet on why they didn't pick some sort of faster process. And that when this ends and we're done scrambling to figure out what's in the bill, that is going to be an important question to try to get answers to because they, they wanted to go much faster, but they didn't necessarily take the steps to go faster. How have People like Senator Rand Paul being self-quarantined and other lawmakers who have been exposed to this virus, who have been diagnosed with the virus, how has that impacted the negotiations? That kind of puts us into uh, somewhat unprecedented territory as far as the process goes. I mean, we're down to uh, – there are five Republicans who had self-quarantined, which makes it a 48 Republican, 47 Democratic Senate. Uh, they still have – uh, a majority, but when they're going through these votes where they need 60 votes in favor, that makes it even harder to get there. They're slowing things down and holding longer votes to try to have, have people file in and social distance themselves from each other. Uh, it's it's hard to predict how that's going to affect things. It, it necessarily it hasn't affected things yet because the the leaders are the ones sort of doing the sparring. But it, we're kind of in a strange territory where the, there's been talk about uh, remote voting, but they haven't actually taken action on that. That's something, the longer this goes on, and if they work on another bill after that, right. uh, after the third bill, that, that could be uh, an actual possibility. Jack, I know i got to let you get back to work. Coming up in the next segment, I'm interviewing Congresswoman Haley Stevens, Democrat from Michigan. What should I ask her? Oh, uh, boy. 
I, the first thing I ask all these numbers is how are they going to vote? Would, would they vote in favor of the opposite party's plan? Um, I, I, I don't know how leaders are going to combine these together. Um, I, I, I would, I would try to get anybody on the record uh, about the opposite party's plan and say, in an emergency, could you support that? Exactly. Or put simply, what's taking so long? Jack Fitzpatrick, our Bloomberg government congressional reporter, all-star coverage, you and your team, congrats on that. And please keep up the hard work. We need we need to know what's going on. Uh, coming up next, my interview with Congresswoman Haley Stevens. And later on, we go to Italy, Ross Cullen, journalist with Feature Story News. And then, still awaiting, President Trump's coronavirus task force. You can listen to that here live. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We were speaking earlier We were speaking earlier with uh, Jack Fitzpatrick, my colleague over at Bloomberg Government. He's been covering this, the congressional angle. And now let's take you uh, inside of the conversations with Congresswoman Haley Stevens, a Democrat from Michigan. Uh, The congresswoman represents the 11th district, which contains portions of Wayne and Oakland counties. Congresswoman, thank you so much for, for joining us. What's taking so long? Well, Mitch McConnell's not a good steward of the public trust. or the, the, frankly, the nation's economy. You know, we're in a global pandemic, which has um, thrown our um, economics, our financial, and our health security into to great question. And I'm, I'm talking to you here actually from Michigan, okay? I, the House is not in session. And, in fact, I, believe it or not, I, we just went into stay home, stay, stay safe, which is kind of like a shelter. So I'm not really allowed to leave unless it's mission-critical travel and i'm prepared to drive back to washington at the drop of a dime it only takes nine hours from michigan to drive there but i'll tell you what there's a triage on the ground here in michigan and it is medical and it is financial and stevens in rochester hills michigan i'm bopping or i'm i'm you know talking to my mayor and he goes i'm trying to go to construction companies right now to source the PPE. I mean, I'm trying to just get this for our hospitals who are, you know, running out of ventilators and running out of, you know. Uh, uh, well, let me let me let me interrupt. You're going to construction yeah. companies to to try to source what now? They're they're trying to. He's just trying to get some of the original some of the equipment from that the construction companies have for the first responders and the doctors to wear. All right, that's it's, what my mayor was amazing. doing. You know, I grew up outside yeah. of, uh, of Philadelphia and Delaware County. They're doing the exact same so, thing. I love hearing. It's happening across the country. I love it. It's, and it's so we're coming together. We're do, you know who's doing it? The manufacturers and workers. it's absolutely brilliant. The, 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 and of course, that's who they are. Yeah, they, yeah. The workers are manufacturers. Hello, yeah. you know <laughs> that's who it is. It's the it's the makers. It's the doers. It's these amazing, innovative, incredible people who I spend every day with, and I drive past their firms, and they're saving our country. They are. They are. Congresswoman Haley Stevens is on the line. A Democrat from Michigan. Just quickly, you know, you hear about how workers all across the country are doing this, taking it into their own hands to make a contribution. 
What is the final sticking point, Congresswoman, on this economic stimulus bill? Get into the weeds for me. Help people understand what what the back and forth is over. Well, here's what I'm focused on, because I've got a lot of good friends on both sides of the aisle, and manufacturing is a great unifier on this. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of parts juggling. There's political ideologies at play. Everyone's understanding the urgency and the need to act. And we're saying God bless to everybody in there in that negotiating room. You know, uh, God bless to the speaker, the majority leader, and the president. This is this moment for this great nation to step up. And guess what? I've, I'm not doing politics because this pandemic, global pandemic, that has hit the shores of our nation is our fabulous moment to lead. And just like we've always done in this country, we are stepping up to do it, and we are getting it done. All right, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your time. Please check back in with us and get this bill passed, Congresswoman. We're going to do it. All right, good. Come back when it's passed. Congresswoman Haley Stevens, Democrat from Michigan. Coming up, we go to Italy. We're still awaiting President Trump's press conference. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Get the latest COVID-19 coverage over at Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. This is Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We are awaiting President Trump's coronavirus task force briefing. You can catch that here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. We're starting something new this week where we will be taking you around the world with reporters on the ground in different countries telling us the situation. You're going to hear it straight from them. I was so completely blown away last week by Ross Cullen's reporting out of Italy And now I'm learning that he has followed this pandemic to Paris, where he is reporting on it with Feature Story News. Ross, first, let's start with Italy. How did you get out, number one? And number two, have there been any significant changes or any breakthroughs or flattening of the curves out of Italy? Yeah, hi, uh, hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me back on. We managed to get out of Italy on the second last Air France flight before Air France brought in a cancellation of all flights to and from. When was Italy. that? There were a lot of French citizens, of course, trying to get out of Italy as well. Um, and we were driving to the airport. The highway to the airport was deserted. The airport check-in desks were empty. There was hardly anybody there. Dozens of flights were cancelled. When we got through security, there were a lot of French citizens joining us on the flight back to Paris. But, uh, yeah, it really did feel as though we were um, getting out of uh, getting out of one lockdown. But uh, as you mentioned, we've uh, we're arrived in Paris now with, with where there is another lockdown. OK, so how ha- how has France been handling this? 
Um, France has, has unfortunately on a similar trajectory to Italy. Um, uh, just to mention what you what you touched on before, Italy has has seen the lowest number of new uh, cases and deaths today uh, for, for the for five days. So it's not the light at the end of the tunnel uh, at all. It's not a kind of victory dance, but Italy is now starting to see a gentle slow. Uh, slow down in the number of new cases. Thank France, that though, is, is just tightened its lockdown measures. You know, I, I got to just, I mean, you hear, uh, just hearing you say that, and, and, and we're none of us are scientists, but I think collectively we all understand that this is not going to be a situation where it's over, run out in the streets, go to see a ball game. It's going to be gradual. And that is so difficult. Just, I, I'm speaking for myself here, to grasp, to fully understand but even hearing you say that there's been a gentle decline in Italy gives me hope, Ross Cullen, journalist with Feature Story News. So what have been some of the lessons, Ross, and the takeaways that the world can understand from Italy and now from France? Well, just on your message of hope, um, I, I would just like to mention that I joined in, as I have been doing uh, every evening here at 8 p.m., people offering a round of applause, a show of appreciation. Everybody opens their balconies, their windows here in France, and for two minutes at 8 p.m., there's a round of applause. Any cars that happen to be driving will toot their horns, and it's a show of support for healthcare workers. And the U.K. is starting to have similar lockdown measures, and they're suggesting they may do this as well, lighting candles, a round of applause nightly at 8 p.m., just because we know the burden they have been under. It's incredible pressure Retired doctors have come back to work. Medical students have been entered straight into the system, particularly in Italy. Uh, we've seen that. Okay. The stresses of the healthcare structures have been under have been enormous. I love that, Ross. All right. So how have the Italian government responded economically and how has the, Fran- the French government responded economically? Uh, we're talking billions of dollars of special funds set aside Uh, by President Macron here in France, by the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte in Italy to try to prop up those businesses which have been forced to close, particularly tourism and the hospitality sectors have really uh, been hit hard uh, by the coronavirus outbreak and the special funds are going to be put in place to help businesses tax breaks, uh, loans, interest-free loans as well. The UK has followed up with similar measures as well to support the self-employed. Uh, and also to support companies in in allowing people sick days. So what is the perception amongst the lawmakers, the policymakers that you're interviewing overseas, both in Italy and in France, on how they view America's response? Um, I think they they were looking at the UK first, which was lagging behind Italy, France and Spain in its lockdown measures. And the UK is now this evening, Kevin, the prime minister spoke to the nation and has brought in uh, stricter lockdown measures. And now the tension turns to the United States, uh, which is behind uh, Italy at the moment, but with more than 40,000 cases in the US, more than 500 people, unfortunately, having lost their lives now in the US as well. An increase of nearly 100 people have lost their lives in the last 24 hours, as you guys will know, in the States alone. Um, that is rising. And lockdown measures have already come in uh, in California and other places. Right. But I think European leaders will now be suggesting uh, that there should be uh, a form of 
widening of the lockdown measures by the Trump administration. So, I mean, it comes at a time in which the president just openly tweeting about whether or not uh, the the cure for this is going to be harder than the than the disease. And that's now a conversation that is happening. There's been widespread division as it relates to the economic stimulus bill. And in just a few minutes, we're literally on standby, Ross, for the president to come out and and do uh, a coronavirus task force meeting. Uh, so I guess my last question to you before we, cause you've been incredibly generous with your time and, and giving us really a, what it's like on the ground. Can you just reiterate that social, or let me ask you, does social distancing work and do the measures of staying at home work, uh, in, in speeding up the flattening of the curve? People are adhering. You have to stay at home. The flu, you can influenza every year we see it, and you can give it to roughly one and a half, if that's even a division, maybe two people maximum. This version of the coronavirus, it's three people, and then those three people give it to three people, and it spreads very easily. People are staying at home. The streets are quiet in the UK, in France, in Spain, and in Italy. And we have started to see that figure I gave at the start when I was speaking to you, that Italy, for the first time in five days, has seen a lower number of new cases. Uh, the social distancing rules in Italy are very strict. You cannot exercise outside your house. You have to ex- exercise at home. You can only leave if you are going to the grocery store or to see a doctor. Uh, they are very strict, but the governments in, in the Europe have been very firm, serious, and they have received backing broadly from their respective oppositions. And that This needs to be a coordinated response. They can't understand the delay that we're seeing in, the, um, in Congress at the moment in the U.S. This needs to be a coordinated, bipartisan approach the disease is bigger than anybody, and it needs to be dealt with. Final question. Just end on an upbeat note, because I mean that's—I I love what you said about the APM thing. But give me, give me something. I don't know in your life that was that was optimistic and hopeful today. Um, I spoke to my my grandma earlier, and I love she that. is in her eighties, and she is back in the UK, and she was positive. She'd been out for a walk in her garden. The sun had been shining. And she said, we just need to take each day as it comes, do what you can when it comes to shopping. And she was looking after herself by herself um, in isolation. But she said, be positive. The sun is shining and that we can get through this. Have you taught her how to FaceTime? FaceTime is still a work in progress. (laughs) Teach grandma how to FaceTime. All right, Ross Cullen, stay safe, stay healthy. Appreciate your time so much as you've been crisscrossing Europe covering this pandemic uh, while also adhering to all of the rules. That's Ross Cullen. Uh, He's with Feature Story News. He was broadcasting from Paris. He just left Italy. Joining me on the line, a good friend of the program, Matt Brooks. He is the Republican strategist and executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Matt, we're awaiting President Trump's career. Coronavirus Task Force uh, daily briefing with the vice president and others will bring you that as it comes. So if I interrupt you, it's because of that. But in terms of the dynamics at play here, there is just palpable frustration. I don't care what party you're in, but the fact that this economic stimulus bill is going, I mean, it, it, it's it's driving me insane. Oh, there's no question. And, and, and you know, there is no underlying rationale for the tax. Uh, and the line that the, the Democrats are taking on this. They're clearly uh, being seen by the American people as, as holding up much-needed funds 
uh, $1.8 trillion in money to people who are desperately in need right now as people are dying. I mean, this is not a time uh, for the Democrats to play politics and try and get uh, carbon emissions and board diversity uh, incorporated as part of their legislative agenda. We need to help uh, get money to people who are out of work, uh, and we need to get this virus under control. So, I, I mean, from your standpoint, I mean, and you're connected to all of the big, I mean, all the influencer Republicans in leadership. What what are the sticking points? This is what I can, I get a different answer every time I ask somebody. What are the actual sticking points that they're fighting over? Well, I think the the biggest thing is the Democrats are trying to inject uh, their progressive liberal agenda into this this bill. They're trying to fight for enhanced um, uh, union representation and and greater voices and and collective bargaining for unions. They're trying to get uh, carbon emissions tied in and uh, standards to the airlines and the travel industry. Uh, They're trying to use this to, to mandate board diversity. Uh, for any you know, for any any entity that receives any of these government funds, uh, it's just it's just crazy. This is not the time. You know, it, it, you know, everybody goes back to the old Rahm Emanuel quote about saying, you know, uh, never never let an, a crisis go by without uh, uh, taking advantage of it. And, and this is what the Democrats are trying to do. But it's wrong time, wrong place, and it's backfiring tremendously on them. In terms of the, how this is impacting the 2020 presidential front, where do you see that going? There was just a report out in the New York Times this afternoon. I'm sure you saw it that says that they are the Dem- the Democratic National Committee is reviewing its contingency plans for the convention. Yeah, I mean the conventions are more you know especially in a in a situation that both parties face themselves in now, uh, where we have a you know a very likely. Well, we know who the Republican nominee is, and we have a very clear likelihood that, that Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. You know, these these uh, conventions are about uh, nominating a candidate, more about a multi-day infomercial uh, to promote the candidates. And you know, it, it seems to me that it's it's there's value in looking at contingency planning uh, because the infomercial part uh, and and the ability to, uh, you know, to do multi-day messaging can be done virtually. You don't have to, you know, uh, gather tens of thousands of people in an, in an arena in Milwaukee or, or Charlotte. So um, I think uh, both parties, this, this progresses, are going to take a hard look at, at the value added and, and the benefit of the convention. But see, I mean, Matt, I mean, you and I know this, this is where the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic are going to be felt for months. Tourism, folks at conferences, yep. folks at tailgates, sports bars. I mean, it it is so pervasive, so infiltrating. And, and I just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to comprehend. I mean, and I, I see so many in the media on their soapbox. I see so many of these people on the TV news, you know, and they're going off and on. And for me, I mean, I, for me, it's just everyone's got a story. It just you go back to Delco, you go to people are so incredibly scared and rightfully so, unfortunately, of the economic impacts of this. And they have about two weeks to make it to, to make decisions that they truthfully never thought they were going to have to make two week a week ago. And, and it's it's dizzying. It's incredibly it dizzying. And, and I. You know, I, I struggle as a reporter 
interviewing Republicans and Democrats and getting a lot of words that I can't say on air. And it, it it's driving me insane that in a time like this, when you've got a health crisis and you've got literally people running out of money, running out of cash, and a bill, it's incomprehensible to me that these lawmakers can't get this done yesterday. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's really disgusting, and and nothing has in my thirty years of of being in Washington has got my blood boiling as much. Uh, as what we've witnessed the last couple of days, this is uh, it is indefensible. And you're right, Kevin. I mean, we are seeing the most radical transformation uh, of life as we know it uh, ever in American history. There's no question. You mentioned the tailgates and sporting events and, and all this stuff. Uh, you know, it's going to take a long, long time for our country to get back to, to normal. And I was talking to some friends about this, and, I, you know, we're trying to think of what the, the analog is to this. What's a comparable situation? And, you know, we sort of said, you know, something like, you know, a nuclear weapon going off in, in one of our major cities. But even that, I mean, if, if you don't happen to be in the city where the, where the nuclear weapon goes off, you know, your life isn't going to change all that much. But this is affecting everybody across the country in every socioeconomic strata. Uh, there is. So Matt Brooks, who is the Republican strategist and executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition, take us to how the Israelis have been responding to this. How has Israel been been dealing with this? So they immediately, uh, you know, right from the, the, the outset, took a very aggressive, much more aggressive than almost uh, any other country uh, posture. Uh both uh, mandating self-quarantine for people who had traveled uh, outside of Israel in some of the hot zones for 14 days and uh, well before anybody else started doing that, and then ultimately locking down, um, locking down the country uh, and mandating people be at home far sooner than, than any others. And I, you know, in, in talking to uh, uh, folks over in Israel, including the, uh, the Israeli ambassador here in, in the United States, they made the determination that they were going to suffer uh, the long-term economic hit of closing down the country at the front end uh, and shortening the duration of the of the impact of the virus so that the, the economic uh, – they can rebuild the economy on the back end. We've done it a little bit backwards or different than the Israelis uh, because it took us so long to get to the point we're not even in a national quarantine situation uh, like Boris Johnson just did uh, in the U.K., uh, so, um, you know, they're now where, where Israel is and Israel has been dogmatic in, uh, cracking down on this. So they, they, they did it on the front end and did people, I mean, and, and other, most other countries are doing it on the back end. How do you think this changes or what questions do you think China is going to have to answer once we get through this fog? Oh, I think, I think China has a lot of culpability and a lot of questions and it's not just coming from. The president at the the podium at the White House, but I think the international community as a whole uh, want to understand first of all the real development of of this virus and and you know whether it, there's any element of it that uh, is a result of some sort of accident or something in in some of the labs or it truly is an evolutionary thing evolved from the the wet markets. But beyond that, the the responsibility that the Chinese government had. Uh, for transparency to make the international community aware of the seriousness and the extent of this 
uh, is something that they are going to be held um, answerable to. And, and there's no question uh, that by them uh, shielding information from the rest of the world, uh, they allowed this pandemic to, uh, to be much more significant uh, and impactful than it needed to be. Well, see, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, and, you know, quite frankly, you know, when I talk to people who say, oh, China handled it so much better, we're going to check in with, a, with one of my colleagues later this week. Every day we're going to check in with a reporter on the ground in a different country. And I have so many questions for China, which I believe we're doing tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, and I, I just – I grapple with what this will look like for China uh, – in a couple of months, because I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, how do you trust General Secretary Xi Jinping of the Communist Party of China and it, when there's allegations that they withheld information? So, you know, I mean, we're going to have to wait and see on that front. But first, we got to get through this fog. Uh, Matt Brooks is on the line. He's a Republican strategist and executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Just to reset here, we're awaiting President Trump's daily coronavirus task force. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. You can listen to that entire briefing here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. Uh, and we'll bring, we'll cut in. Matt, if I interrupt you, it's because <laughs> it's because the president, <laughs> the president came out. You know, I, I've been somewhat, uh, impressed to see how uh, the elected officials in the DMV region have responded to this. Have you or do you have criticism or just being here in this area? I guess we have to wait and see, but how, how have you observed that? No, I think, look, I think everybody agrees that uh, Larry Hogan uh, has done a masterful job in Maryland and, and along with Governor Cuomo is, is seen as, as one of the two most Mayor Bowser. And, 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 and Mayor Bowser's done a good job. And, um, you know, I think that, that we they deserve much credit for, you know, uh, obviously we're seeing numbers increase in the DMV, but, but uh, you know, not to the extent that other places are. And, and uh, you know, thankfully, the um, uh, the citizens have been following, I think, the wise counsel and advice that they've been they've been putting out there about, you know, taking the necessary precautions and social distancing and, and you know, not putting uh, yourself in a dangerous situation with, you know, with large crowds and, and groups. Yeah, I totally a thousand percent. And uh, I saw online that, you know, take out food and curbside food. I mean, that's a, a small way. Make sure you adhere to the social distancing guidelines, but that's a yeah, small and, way. And, you know, that's so important, Kevin, because I think, you know, that's something that all of us can do to help, you know, the people in the service industry, the people at the, the restaurants and, and everybody are hanging on by a, by a thread. And to the extent that, you know, any of us can help patronize them, uh, not by going in and eating in the restaurant, but certainly by ordering takeout and picking up food and keeping the cash flow and helping them. You know, I've been so impressed, you know, with, despite all the all the craziness on the Hill and, and, you know, the disgusting partisanship that we're seeing play out in the in in, in this legislative battle right now. Um, you know, you got it's, there's a lot to be encouraged about. And, you know, it's little things. It's like when you go out to get some fresh air and take a walk and you know, obviously keep social distances, but you see families uh, out playing together and throwing a ball and riding a bike or having a picnic off alone by themselves. But, you know, I think the, the bringing families together and doing stuff together, 
uh, as a result of, of this is, it, you know, it just makes me smile. And it's, it's great to get back to uh, uh, something that, given, you know, electronics and, right. you know, all the other distractions, work and everything else, uh, we've moved away from. You know, my sister just said that to me. She's got the my, my godson Petey and uh, and and his my little niece Annie. I mean, she literally just said the same thing. I was talking with her last night, and there's this app. I don't know if anyone's seen this app. My my other sister Eileen got me uh, caught up on this. It's called House Party app, and you can it's like it's like playing charades with FaceTime House Party app. If you go on and search for House Party, you can like FaceTime and do trivia with. Who with your family? It's it's kind of like oh. a board, a, a, a virtual way to play a board game. But we were hysterical. We've got you know my sister has two little ones, three and two years old, or a year and a half old, um, and they were cracking up at this. So go on, play house party. Uh, Matt Brooks, just final question for you. Give me one more piece of good news. End the show on a high note. <laughs> one more piece of good news in like a minute. Um... <laughs> Uh, I think the Eagles have made some good off-season off moves. <laughs> oh, it feels good to talk about the birds. It feels good to talk about the birds. And, I, you know, I go on ESPN, and what do I see? I see, like, bowling. I'm like, what is even going on? And we're grateful to everyone. All right. Thank you for that, Matt. I, hey, Kevin, stay I, safe. Yeah. You too. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Matt Brooks, Republican strategist and executive director of Republican Jewish Coalition. We're going to go to... We're going to go to get a hoagie when all this is over, Matt. Thanks for listening. Listen to the Coronavirus Task Force meeting, uh, briefing rather, live here on Bloomberg 99.1. And for all of the latest coverage on COVID-19, head on over to Bloomberg.com slash coronaviruses. Keep social distancing. It works. Thank you for listening. I'll check in with you tomorrow. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.